Welcome to episode 15 of the Ideas Into Action podcast. I'm your host, Hamza Khan, and our producer is Kwaku Ajimong, a.k.a. Kwaku on Air, a.k.a. K. Donovan, a.k.a. The Fixer. We had a teeny tiny little scare earlier this week when it was suggested that we couldn't record in the studio during the summer. But Kwaku came through as he always does with practical solutions. And it looks like we'll be able to bang out maybe the rest of the season here at the Allen Slate Radio Institute, but our search for a dedicated studio might have to start earlier than expected. Daniel and Yassine, you boys are listening to this, I'm going to hit you up for some recommendations. Our guest today is a friend of mine whose career journey I find to be absolutely fascinating. Kelly Foss is the co-host of the Millennial Minimalist podcast and the co-founder of Impact X Toronto, a monthly mindset-focused event series supported by Shopify Toronto. Kelly's professional experience includes managing partnerships, events, and content marketing for brands including Air Canada, Iconic Hospitality, and Diverseo AI. Today, Kelly is overseeing partnerships and events for Bang & Olufsen Toronto. Kelly graduated with honors from Western University Canada and has worked in Hong Kong, Tokyo, and Los Angeles. In this episode, we talked about minimalism, fashion industry, and creating communities. We also talked about travel, inspiration, and eliminating distractions when it comes to your time, energy, and attention. Friends, give it up for Kelly Foss. Well, Kelly Foss, you ready to do this? I'm ready. Awesome. So right off the bat, we begin every Ideas Into Action episode with the bestowing of a gift to our illustrious guest. So we have today, in a fancy new money bag, a gift for you. Amazing. And sorry to Pollyanna Reed. Uh, we tried to get these money bags in time for her episode, but uh, they didn't make it. So you are the first guest to get your gift in a money bag. Wow, beautiful. And why the money bag? Because uh, this is invaluable. This gift is, is priceless. Aha. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I was hoping her name would come up. Yes, it so, is Marie Kondo's. Uh, sorry, I, I'm going to get the title wrong. If you could just read it for the listeners, that would be great. The life-changing magic of tidying up. And it's an animated book. It's a manga, as oh, I understand it. Oh, it's a it. manga. Yeah. Okay. Author of The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying It Up, but it is a manga of Tidying It Up. Mm, now, very cool. I will admit, Kelly, I know nothing about Marie Kondo. Am I even oh. saying her name right? Marie Kondo? Marie yes. Kondo? Marie Kondo. But I know that she's all the rage when it comes to minimalism, a yes. topic that you are very passionate about, and I know that Kwaku and I and the listeners want to know all about. So tell us about how your journey as a minimalist began, where did you first get the inspiration, even the understanding of this concept? Absolutely. Actually, interesting enough, I was at a period in my life where I was kind of confused and lost in life and like, hey, like, what do I need to do to make the changes I need to be happier and fulfill that itch inside me that says, I know I can do more and I know I'm not doing or fulfilling my potential in a sense, you know, where can I find greater meaning and fulfillment? And so I started listening to self-help podcasts, uh, one of them being Impact Theory. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shout out to Tom. Yeah, yeah, Tom Villieu. And another podcast I started listening to was uh, The Minimalists. Okay. Uh, So there are two guys quit their six-figure jobs to live with less. Uh, Ryan Nicodemus and uh, Joshua Fields Milburn. And so I started listening to them and I started to realize, wow, like one of the ways that I can start pivoting in my life is to start removing all of the excess in Mm -hmm. my life, all the clutter that's holding me back. And you know what? It wasn't just my physical clutter. And that is somewhere where I started. I started with my closet. It was also mental clutter and digital clutter. Emotional clutter, right? Yes. 
And so, as you know, I have a podcast now mm-hmm. uh, called Millennial Minimalist. Hey. <laughs> and that is with my best girlfriend, uh, Lauren Morley. Shout and out to Lauren, yeah. Yeah, she's the one who motivated me to start living this way. Hmm. So she said, hey, like, I know you're going through a tough time right now. And, you know, one of the ways that I kind of clear my mind is being in a very, very serene space, not a lot of stuff. And she's like, I was like, where do you do that? She's like, in my home. And I was like, wow, I can't really do that in my home. I find that I'm quite distracted and there's a lot of stuff everywhere. So although I've always been very clean and I haven't owned that much stuff, I started realizing I was owning a lot of things that were starting to own me. That's very interesting. You were starting to own a lot of things that started to own you. Wow, it's very profound. Okay, and then what did you begin to purge? So I started with my closet, uh, items that I haven't worn in years. Okay. Started selling them on Kijiji. Good for you. And Craigslist. It's yeah. so funny. Lauren inspired me to do that. Started doing that. And then I started realizing, like, wow, like, you know, as part of being a little bit lost, what the first thing I did is I started writing down, what are my interests? What are the things that are making me unhappy? What are the things that I want in life uh-huh. that I don't have today? Yeah. And that being said, I mean, with the Impact Theory podcast, they're really motivating me to get out there and fulfill my potential in a way, <laughs> uh, which is overused. But I'm like, how do I take action? How do I do this? And I started realizing that by eliminating all the stuff that I wasn't utilizing in my life, all the excess, I could start hyper-focusing on all those areas. Mm-hmm. And so one of my interests that's been an interest of mine forever is um, – is obviously storytelling. I love storytelling. Mm -hmm. I love connecting with people. I love connecting people. uh, And and I love snackable content. So I love producing engaging, immersive Mm -hmm. content. So that being said, I decided, hey, like, I want to be a freelancer. Yeah. I want to be an independent contractor who can fulfill those areas of my life. Like, let's just take a risk. Let's just take a list. I finally listened to that voice. I was like, let's take a risk. So I took that risk. And so today I'm working as an independent contractor. First, My first job uh, was building uh, engaging content for a cool uh, artificial intelligence yeah. startup called Diversio, mm-hmm. uh, which helps companies be my, more diverse and inclusive, which is very cool. Uh, and uh, and then now I'm overseeing the Bang & Loafs in Yorkville run, which is an annual run that happens in Toronto and raises almost a million dollars for charities. I love this. And there's something very, very special about the act of just cleaning the things around you that lets you focus on the things that truly matter. I talked recently, I was at uh, Capital One, I did a keynote for them. And the crux of the keynote, like the essence of the keynote was do less things. And it was met with a lot of blank stares in the audience. A lot of people were like looking at me very quizzically thinking, why are you telling me to do less? And I had to reinforce the Pareto distribution, which is 80% of your results come from only 20% of your inputs. And this is consistent across anything in your life. And so you took an audit of your life and you made a list of the things that are important to you, the things that you truly want to do. And everything else suddenly became labeled as noise, as clutter, as things that need to go. Honestly, my mentality has completely shifted. Hmm. I read the book, A Mindset by Carol Dweck, which was inspired by impact theory. Right. And I was like, wow, like everything is controlled by me. I always thought like, oh, one day it's going to happen. One day I'm going to accomplish this. No, you need to take that action. Yeah. And now I walk through life every day. And I know I sound funny when I say this, but I am no longer tempted. I know that I'm so happy that I have what I need and that 
I wake up every day feeling fulfilled, mainly because I'm pursuing my podcast right. because I'm super passionate about minimalism. But it's like, wow, like even if I have a down day, I know that I'm waking up and I'm in a direction that I'm happy with. You know what? You've become the marketer's worst nightmare. <laughs> you are the anathema to marketers Absolutely. because you are enough. There's nothing that nobody can sell you anymore. Because you feel like you are perfect enough, you're efficient enough, you're progressive enough, you're satisfied enough, you're innovative enough. The myths of modernity just don't work on you the same way that marketers would want them to on everyone else. Yes. That being said, I do feel like I'm quite imperfect at times. So, mm -hmm. I, And that's what Lauren and I love to remind our audience right. is that you know the dynamic in our podcast uh, is that Lauren is the true minimalist, the natural minimalist. She's yeah. always lived this way, whereas I'm the minimalist adopter. That's it. So this is a new lifestyle for me. And so there's trial and error. And interesting enough, our latest episodes on emotional minimalism. Mm -hmm. And it's that's a part of minimalism that Lauren hasn't mastered. Yeah. So she was like, oh, I'm so excited for this. I'm so excited to do the research on this because... Uh, you know, there's a lot that I can learn and share with the audience. Absolutely. I was traveling recently, and uh, one of the things I love doing when I'm traveling is just watching commercial TV. Because uh, I think that so much of our life now is just about, like, Crave and Netflix and just heavy curation with ad block on. So I kind of like to just kind of zone out when I'm traveling and just see what the commercials are speaking to. And I saw a commercial for an episode on TLC of, I think it was, like, um, like Save, Save My Life Clutter Edition or something, like Hoarders. I, that's what it was called. It was Hoarders. And then I was tempted to watch that episode and I watched it and I was just sick to my stomach. This one house that this lady had curated was just clutter galore. It was, I don't know how she moved through the house without stepping on things or stepping on things Ugh. and hurting herself. And it made me think, it's like, do I know anyone successful that has a lot of noise, their exogenous surroundings are just filled with clutter? And I couldn't, I just ran a blank. Oh, I think really? everyone I know, everyone who's been on this podcast, everyone that we work with, at least in the bubble that I've curated, they all believe that focus is, is as much about what to do as it is about what not to do. And I think that not part, I think, gets lost. And I know there's a lot of listeners right now thinking about how do I begin my journey with minimalism? How do I embrace the spirit of minimalism? I think my advice to them would be start focusing on the things not to do. So in your, in your opinion, Kelly, mm -hmm. if somebody wants to begin this journey about purging things in their life mm -hmm. in all realms, physical, mental, emotional, so on and so forth, where do they begin? Okay, well, they can begin in a couple areas. If they find that they have a lot of stuff and that it is affecting their productivity, then that's a great place to start. I always say the closet is a great place to start. Mm -hmm. However, back to your point about how you think that majority of people who are successful would have kind of clutter-free environments. There are some people uh, who, especially artists, who have, you know, it's almost organized chaos. Organized chaos, yeah. And But there's beauty in that because, like for a painter, for example, he uses every single item in his studio, even right. if it is a mess. Mm -hmm. So that's okay. So I like to remind our listeners that it's really about living intentionally and owning things that you know add value to you every day. If you if you use the item, then keep it. If you don't use it, then eliminate it. So I think that's an important distinction to make between mess and clutter, right? Maybe they're two different things. So I think yeah. you can have mess, but it can be part of an organized mess. But clutter suggests that it's excess. It's in excess. Absolutely. It's unnecessary. Absolutely. Yeah. The, what people don't realize is that a lot of this excess clutter, especially in our physical space, is taking up our time. Mm -hmm. We don't realize. It's like, wow, you know. And I say start with your closet. 
look at the items that you don't use right. and even just take a day. And I recently did this for my boyfriend. I went into his closet. <laughs> Great episode. Uh, we, we talked about decluttering your closet and I talked about the experience, had a quite a disheveled closet and we created three bins. We said one, you, um, you recycle or purge. Uh, the next one, you donate or the third, you sell. Okay. And so for donating and selling were the biggest bags, thankfully. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then the next day I said, how did it feel? How did it feel <laughs> walking into your closet? And he goes, it was awesome because it took me two minutes to decide what to wear. Exactly. Usually I'm like, I don't know what where, where this is or where that is. And it's so interesting. And every time I go home, by the way, side note, I went to my parents' house for <laughs> Easter and I'm always purging another bag. And my mom's like, do you have anything left? <laughs> left yeah. But I'm like, it's not, they're not my best pieces. So we like to say, keep items that are of higher quality. Mm-hmm. So even if you're going to spend a little bit more up front, you're going to have that item for five, six years rather than, you know, five, six months, right? It's a price per wear is the whole idea. And there's a real decision fatigue that comes from that simple act or seemingly simple act of choosing what to wear in the morning, right? Or you, whatever time you choose to get dressed, you open up your closet and you're like, am I going to wear this article, this color, this combination? I know a lot of people, including myself, who practice the capsule wardrobe. So like people have seen me in this particular outfit and they probably think, okay, Hamza's wearing the exact same shirt, the exact same jeans, the exact same boots, and the exact same blazer. Does this guy even wash his clothes? The The truth is I don't seven pairs of these exact same pants. Oh, really? I do. And I believe that if you find something that likes that uh, something something that you like, something that works, the cost per wear, just invest in a whole bunch of it. Oh, and then absolutely. you maximize that cost per wear over years. There are retailers that are picking up on that too. Oh yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And a lot of them are ethical and sustainable brands mm-hmm. and they are now packing two two of the same pair of jeans, two of the same pairs of or t-shirts, black and white, very mm-hmm. minimalistic. Uh, that being said, I was gonna I was gonna laugh at you for a second <laughs> because you said that people were probably thinking, oh, he's wearing the same thing, even though you have seven of them. Seven of them, yeah. <laughs> well, even if you didn't have seven of them, people aren't thinking about us. People aren't thinking about what we're wearing. People don't think about. Aren't they though? Because I do all the time. Like, oh, you do. I do. I saw it, both of you as soon as I made. Like, have you seen this? Yeah, I noticed it at a subconscious level, but maybe you're right. That's my own insecurity and just that constant feeling of like everyone's watching me and everyone's thinking about what I'm wearing and whatnot. Oh, so that's some self work that I need to do. I think confidence has come up as 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 a theme on this on this podcast, and then that actually brings us to our nice little mm-hmm. transition point here, right? So we've talked about your family. You went back home for Easter. We talked a little bit about fashion, and we talked about eyes on you. Let's talk about that moment where you were walking with your mom through the mall at the age of 16 and you saw an advertisement an advertisement for um, a modeling competition. Was that something that you noticed first or your mom noticed first? It was something that my mom noticed first. Okay. And it was something that she says, hey, like, Kelly, you should you should try out. And so I ended up trying out and I ended up winning the contest. And I honestly can't even remember the experience now. Wow, it was like a whole lifetime ago. It was a whole lifetime ago. I mean, it was... I guess half my life ago. Basically. <laughs> which is crazy. Which is interesting because yeah. you're one of my few friends who I feel like hasn't had multiple careers. You've had multiple lives. Mm-hmm. Like you and like one person that comes to mind immediately is another gentleman by the name of Sid who we hope to bring on for season two. But it's like there's chapters of your life and there was this whole chapter for you specifically that it would take a conversation like this to unearth because you have this whole life, this whole personality, this career that is manifested in the present in 2019. But people don't know, many people don't know that you lived the life of a model 
an international, high-flying, well-traveled, successful model. What was that like for you? When you look back at that particular chapter mm-hmm. of your life, mm-hmm. what are some of the themes or the feelings that come up? And you know, it's those themes and those feelings come up all the time. I feel like we grow and we evolve and we change every five years or so, and mm-hmm. even our friend groups do. Mm-hmm. But I think I had such incredible experiences back then that I constantly think about them. And a lot of them are applied to our life, my life today. So uh, modeling, so after winning that contest for a few years, I was modeling during high school and then going into university, I decided that I would model overseas during the summer months right. to actually pay for my education, mm-hmm. uh, which was super rewarding. So, you know, end of uh, second year, I believe, was the first time I went to Hong Kong. Never had an, uh, like an, uh, I never had, you know, an interest in going to Asia. And then I realized, like, wow, like, didn't realize how amazing Hong Kong is. Oh, yeah. And I went. Entire and I subcontinent, went, yeah. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And just how fast paced it is and the beautiful palm trees and water and so many different experiences, hikes and just how clean the city can be. Mm-hmm. People are like, what? That's Hong Kong. Right. Uh, and then living in Tokyo. So long story short. I've been to Hong Kong three times. I'm all there three times. Tokyo once. And then I lived a year in uh, Los Angeles, which is another incredible experience. But combining all of those experiences, I would say the biggest takeaway where the relationships and the conversations I had with interesting people. Interesting. And not just within your industry. Oh, uh, with outside of my industry so through the industry the industry what the beautiful thing about the modeling industry is that you know modeling was fun um it was never a passion of mine um but what was great it was a gateway to meeting interesting people a lot of successful entrepreneurs in different areas of life and through that experience i was like wow like i rather than you know i i do drink but i don't drink heavily so Mm -hmm. whenever a drink was given to my hand i put it down and i would have a conversation with someone instead that's it it was like hey like what can i take away from these situations right And a lot of these people were successful entrepreneurs um, who were doing really cool things. And I'm 19, 20 years old, and I'm looking up to these people, and I'm like, wow, like I want to do, I've always been extremely ambitious. And I was like, I want to, I want to do this. Like I want to, I want to get your advice. And then, you know, I, 20, I was 21. I went, I, I went overseas again. And then I was 22 and I started having these same conversations. And then I realized like, wow, some of these people are not happy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, a lot of them have all the money in the world. I don't understand. Right. All the money in the world and they're bored. They're bored or they or you know, it's like choosing. they miscalculated, right? Like yes. Their version of happiness wasn't aligned with the trajectory that they found themselves on. Right. Or they were taking that money and, you know, doing things that weren't healthy or yeah. adding value to their everyday or they were falling off the path of their success. Um, getting into the wrong friend groups, and I've, I've saw these, I saw these situations from afar, and I was like, "Wow!" And I lived in LA for a year. That was my my last stint. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, I was modeling, but I also was pursuing um, my TV reel because at the time, I thought I wanted to be a journalist. Right. And I started interviewing four different celebs uh, at the time uh, about their life and their career, and it was the height of you know YouTube and like snackable entertainment, oh, yeah. digestible. And- yeah. yeah. So I was like, I got to get into this. And, you know, I'm really proud of myself for trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I came back 
because I was like, you know what? First of all, I ran out of money and I was like, I got to come back. Uh, Second of all, I got a full time job downtown, secure exactly what the parents want for me uh, at CBC Television. So I ended up taking that, which was a great year, but probably not the best choice for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the time, I didn't know anything else. I was like, you know what? I want to make it on my own. I don't want to have to be dependent on anybody. You see that a lot of the time. You'll see models who are like, hey, they either get married or, you know. There's like a transition plan that a lot of them seem to take. Yeah. And I'm like, no. Like, I've always wanted to make it on my own. So I'm going to come back to Toronto and build, rebuild myself. And that was hard. I was, I went through a a kind of a tough period in my life in 2011, 2012, uh, because you know, after all those crazy experiences overseas, ex- especially I have a, you know, I'll tell you an, a, yeah. a, a story that I'll share off off the podcast sure, in, sure. in Macau, which was <laughs> crazy, which is Asia's Las Vegas. That happened to Did me. you win big there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I tried. <laughs> uh, and after that, I was like, I was like, all these crazy experiences. And now I'm back in Toronto. And at the time I had to move back home. And I was yeah. like, now I'm back in Aurora, which is What's a beautiful city. Yeah. I love my parents, totally. but it's. It's, you know, when you're so independent, then you have to be in a household where you feel like you are dependent. Yeah. It is... It's like a complete 180. A complete 180. And it's it can be... It was a struggle. But at right. the same time, I've always had a growth mindset. And so because of that, and thankfully because of that, I was able to move myself out of that and start rebuilding myself and moving downtown and getting a beautiful job at Air Canada uh-huh. and, and, and you know, now pursuing what I'm pursuing. But all that struggle that I went to made me the person who I am today. And the best part about it is that I'm able to give back to others. Was there something about modeling itself as a vocation that helped you build your resilience? And I asked because I had a very small stint with, with modeling. Oh, yeah. Uh, it happened for a day, literally. So, Kwaku, um, have you seen the picture on my Instagram? Oh man, I hope you, I hope, okay, you know what listeners, <laughs> if, you, if you're going to do it, just go at Hamza K and scroll all the way down. You're going to see this photo where I'm, I look like I'm strutting like Vince McMahon and I'm wearing this really colorful vest. That was me modeling for uh, former vice provost of students over here. I think I'm getting her title right, Heather Lane Vettier. Uh, she was doing a project where she was immersing herself in a classroom here. And uh, the first class she involved herself in was a fashion class over here. And so okay. part of her culminating project was she had to contribute a, uh, a lineup of clothes to, I think, the fashion show here. Kwaku's called Meta, is it? I think so, right? Mm. They have, like, uh, Ryerson's annual fashion show. And so she recruited a bunch of staff, including myself, to walk the runway here. And Kelly, I kid you not, every misconception I've had about... Um, modeling about the fashion industry went out the window. First of all, my respect has never been higher since that experience. But I realized that what it takes to be a model, and that was a very small glimpse into the world, was excruciating for me. Like, my personality could not handle it. That was that was tough because I became obsessed about my body. First of all, I had to constantly think about how it is that I was going to manage my time, my energy, my attention, my diet, my sleep, everything, my happiness, to fit into that particular piece of attire but then when you put it on the show's not about you you just have to walk you are a vessel carrying that message forward and as you're walking everyone is just like scanning you up and down like terminator and um the conversations i was having backstage with people everyone was just so on edge they were strung out it was just like whoa this is really difficult now imagine doing this for however many years that you did yeah it. yeah and i'm still today i'm still doing modeling on the side so yeah. it's crazy but i i like that you said that it is a cutthroat industry. Oh, God. However, here's a way of managing it. So Molly never sees especially. They take literally, they could take five seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds to look at your book. You give them your book. 
And I knew that that was my value add to them. Mm-hmm. It was just my physical and how I walked. That was really frustrating for me internally because right. I was like, I've worked so hard in my life. I'm more than I'm this. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> All these things, exactly. Uh, but then I quickly realized every single client wants something different. So that's okay. You know, if they don't want me, I'm not going to feel like I'm not um, – I'm not good enough. Like I could feel all these emotions. I'm not pretty enough. I'm, I could, I could tell myself those things, but rather than telling myself those things, I say, Hey, like they wanted someone else. Everybody looks different. And it applies to relationships too. It's like, if I ever get rejected, it's, Oh, okay. Well they want something different. Right. And that's okay. Can't let it get to you. No, you can't. Do you think that living in LA was interesting because, uh, it kind of made you more relaxed and chill or is that misconception uh, false that, that people who live on the East Coast look to LA and they think that everyone is kind of laid back, sauntering to work, driving in the driving with their top down, or is it a lot more cutthroat and fierce than we think? Uh, you know, I think people think that because majority of people there don't have a day job, so they have they act, they model, and so it's the gig economy, right? Yeah, it's yeah. the gig economy there. So everybody is moving around, everybody's out and about during the day. Where that sounded so Canadian, I'm sure. <laughs> boot in uh, boot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, whereas in in New York, it's not like that. Yeah, uh, everybody's kind of in their office. They're yeah. going. Uh, they're less present. Uh, not to say that people in LA are more present, though. I mean, again, it's a driving culture there, yeah. right? So everybody's driving. You can't really walk the streets. If you walk the streets of LA, you're either homeless or a tourist. So yeah, basically, it's right? It's really funny. Or you're melting and just like turning into a puddle. Like it's so friggin' hot there. Anytime I've gone there, I'm like, this is sweltering. And I've been to Dubai, I've been to Mumbai, and that place is hot. My goodness, LA is just, God forbid, if you find yourself out in the middle of the day. That's why so many people are out at night. Like, yeah. And you know what? I, I, I'll never understand the convertible. Yeah. Because you're just literally burning your head because yeah, you're, you yeah. you're not moving in L.A. traffic. But no, but to answer your question, basically, I would say I would say it's just it's different. It's different, but it's it's still cutthroat and, you know, hardworking culture in Los Angeles. What do you think about this? Uh, this refrain from a poem that I think it's called Wear Sunscreen. It says, live in L.A. once, but leave before it makes you soft. Live in New York once, but leave before it makes you hard. Do you agree with that? Ooh. Do you think LA can make you soft if you stay there long enough? I think it can. Hmm. And and I I say that because everybody does move at a slower pace, but that doesn't mean that they're not working as hard, right? right? Uh I think that it's What do you mean by soft? That's a good question. I don't know what the the poet meant, but yeah. I think the idea would be that you lose your hustle, you lose the drive, you lose your focus because think, you get really comfortable and pampered over there just being up in the hills and you kind of grow disillusioned and, and far from reality. Like as as we're doing doing this podcast right now, I think Kanye's got his Sunday service going on right now yeah. at Coachella. I think like there was a hustle that Kanye embodied a while ago and ever since he moved out to the Hollywood Hills, I think that I think he's getting a little soft. I don't but know. I think soft is a good thing. <laughs> And the reason yeah, why I say yeah, that yeah, is yeah. because you I think what? I think by soft you could say, hey, like you're learning to, you know, it's beautiful in LA. Right. Slow you down. You go out, yeah. slow down, meditate. Be more mindful. Yeah. Be more mindful. Not to say they they are, but I think a lot of people they they take that time to go for that run in the morning and yeah. you know, rather I don't know. I, again, it's different. It's hard to compare the two. Although I, I would say that if I could choose one area to live, it would be Los Angeles over New York. New York's a great place to right. visit. But, but just for weather alone, eh? You'd go to LA. Yeah, I would. I love that. It does. Is Tom based in LA? 
Tom is based in Beverly Hills. In Tom Beverly Hills. Hills. Yeah. And he's anything but quote unquote soft, right? Like, I mean, oh. he's he's just as active and as just focused as they get. The founder of Quest Nutrition, shout out to Quest. I, I remember when I began my workout, when I began to work out several years ago, um, my brother and I had plenty of Quest Nutrition products. Oh, um, love my Quest Good bars. stuff. The Quest bars are still, still some of my favorite bars right now. How did you get connected with Tom? Uh, okay. So my good friend, Danny, uh, he's an architect in the city. Danny Sang. Danny Sang. I think episode 18, Danny's going to be on this podcast. Amazing. Yeah. He, he has is, great stories, by the way. Oh, my goodness. He's incredible. So, uh, yeah. So he said, hey, Kelly, you know, I know you loved personal development podcast. You're going to love this one. So I started right. listening to this one. And Tom focuses on our mindset. He said he talks all about the growth mindset and the importance of having one and how if you do have an itch in, in the back of your mind to do more or fulfill something that you know that you need that you're here for your why like everybody has a why yeah. but not everybody figures it out right. or or takes the time to develop it and so everything he was saying in all of his podcasts I was like wow like I'm absorbing so much and interesting enough I was one of I think I was one of the first of I think 600 followers when he first started. No way. This yeah. Is like old school. Oh, old Jeez. school. This is this is um it was uh, before Impact Theory it was called something else. I believe it was called Inside Quest. Inside Quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so before Impact Theory even started. So that was the original podcast I started listening to and Danny's like you're going to love this and I loved it. I loved the motivation. I loved um some of his his advice on how to take action and uh, it's so funny. So I started engaging with the community. And right. that's the beauty of podcasts. You can really connect with our, your audience and your audience will want to ask you questions. So I started asking questions and their marketing director, I'm working at, you know, my fast paced job. And I remember it was a very tough day. And, you know, I get this email from Impact Theory. I'm like, first of Ooh. all, I still today don't know how they got my email. <laughs> uh, and she goes, hey, you know, we're building out this really cool podcast campaign globally where we can we are choosing six cities around the world. Uh, to build momentum around the impact theory brand and around mindset. And so she goes, hey, um, I'm connecting you with a guy named Daniel Burris. Okay. Uh, and I'd love for you guys, we have a huge community in Toronto, to you know throw an event, one event. So we threw one event together. I'd never knew, I didn't know who Daniel Burris was. We became fast friends, yeah. both listeners of the podcast. Literally worked a street away from each other. No way. In Toronto. No so way. funny. Because he's up in Yorkville too, right? So he is now, but yeah. before we were both on Bay Street. Okay, in Toronto. there we go. Yeah. And so then we got together and he's like, Yeah, let's throw this event. First event, super successful. We talked about you just it was just a very it was a community empowerment group. And I was like, wow, like, let's do another. Let's do another. <laughs> and then we ended up doing, I think the total we did, I think we did almost, I think we did 11 total. Uh, so one a month, one event a month. And then we partnered with Shopify oh, in yeah. Canada and we started doing events. And you spoke for us I at did. one of our events. It was such a cool experience for me. Like that, you, as a speaker, you can sense an energy when you walk into a room. And that was some of the best energy I've ever felt. Like everyone, everyone there was there for the right reason. I've never received participation like that. Like I debriefed that event with uh, Stephen Sills, who's the co-founder of Student Life Network. We talked about it. He was there for the first half of the event. Okay. He said that that level of participation is very unique. Wow. That you're doing a lot of work behind the scenes and en you're energizing the community such that by the time they show up physically at the event, they're ready to talk. They're ready to engage. They're ready to listen and absorb. It's, I think what you and Daniel have done with this 
brand is remarkable. What what's what's happened? What's next for Impact X Toronto? So Impact X Toronto. So we we started it, uh, gosh, well over a year ago now, yeah. and I started my minimalism podcast, and so I've actually handed it off to Daniel to run it uh, at this time. But I actually may be still associated with it, so okay. I'll keep you posted on that. Will you be speaking at it at some point? Oh, I mean, I would love to. Yeah. I think that would be really great, really rewarding. I mean, the reason why I originally started it was because of them. They motivated me to continue these events. And we said, hey, Impact Theory, you know, can you become a sponsor of our event? And they said, yes. <laughs> yeah. So rather than just running it for them, we're actually the only city out of all the cities that actually continued on with this event. Way to go. And the goal of this event is to really, for me, like deep down, I was like, hey, like, what am I doing with these events? I really want to empower and connect people. Right. And that was, I mean, I would say that my first event at Shopify, I had never felt so fulfilled in my entire life. I just wanted to cry because I was like, I am helping people feel that, yes, there, you, you're, there's a reason why you're put on this earth. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't figured out your why, here's an opportunity to. And I know that that's something I would have wanted earlier in my life. And it's something that I figured out later by myself and through mentor figures of mine. But if I can do that for other people, like that's an amazing thing. And I think you've done it. I think that I have continued to benefit from that one exchange. I mean, we've become friends since then. I've connected with Daniel, with Danny. There's a whole bunch of people that I still talk to from that day. We have like Love coffees that. that are extending all the way throughout the entire year. Um, I hope that you can continue to stay connected with it because I think I think you're building this new thing. You're building this missing piece in at least the Toronto ecosystem for entrepreneurs, people who are in the gig economy, for people who are uh, interested in professional development, personal development, all of that. Yes. And those who, you know, are kind of lost, those who have extreme anxiety, those who are feeling depressed, it's an opportunity to get out there and connect with people. And it's also for those entrepreneurs who are working on their own, those who don't get to connect with colleagues every day and they feel alone. But if you come to these community events, you realize like, hey, I'm not the only one. Totally. It was cool to see Danny bring out his entire team at that last event that that I was at. Like that was really awesome. And I think that everyone benefited from that, like top to bottom, everyone in that, on his team really, uh, you know, they got a lot from it. And I'm thinking about doing the same thing with my team at Student Life Network and just thinking about the other organizations that I'm affiliated with and just bring them to that event, just seeing what happens. Because I feel like the conversations that are curated there, and I know that mm-hmm. Raf spoke there as well, George spoke there as well, the conversations that are generated there, I don't think are happening as often as they need to. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's huge when you say that because you're like, hey, I want to get my network out there yeah. and see what else comes out of each individual because mm-hmm. you learn so much more because you really dive deeper and people are more vulnerable. Totally. Kelly, speaking of diving deeper, uh, we're at the Halo Skull segment of this yes. podcast. Uh, you've probably been wondering what the skull is about, but you listened to a couple of episodes, so you're familiar with what happens now, right? Yes or no? Do you want to move forward with the segment? Yes. Okay, well, let's make you a little bit uncomfortable, Kelly. Um, this segment is called Explain that gram and it was inspired by um sean evans and first we feast and their wildly popular show hot ones Mm -hmm. so what we've done is we've gone all the way to the recesses of your instagram feed we've gone past the point where it looks like you were taking photos with a potato like this is like several several years ago like some of your og pictures and we just want you to provide some context and explain what was happening and i chose some really interesting ones here so first of all we have C.W. Kelly Foss and Slash. Yes. 
<laughs> so it looks like it looks like Slash is always dressed for Halloween. Like this is. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So I. Can How did you meet Slash? Though. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this is the thing. When you live in Los Angeles, you meet celebrities because celebrities live there, right? Yeah. So they li- they live there. They're out and about. They're at Whole Foods. They're you know you're walking down the street. You see them all the time. Right. So it almost because it you, it almost doesn't phase you anymore. And it's it's funny that I posted that because for a long time, especially after I lived there for a year. I had so many moments with interesting people, and I wouldn't say that the celebrities were even the most interesting sometimes, but sometimes when I did meet a celebrity, there's a period where I'm like, I don't need to take a picture. Mm-hmm. I don't need to ask them for a picture. They just become normal peeps. Right? I'm yeah. loving this moment, this great conversation. Yeah. And this is the best takeaway. I don't need to show my world, and I don't need them to say, oh, you're cooler because of this. Like, yeah. I don't I don't need that. You no. know, I don't need that. So Did you get starstruck when you met him? Uh, I actually, I actually didn't, but I knew exactly who he was and I knew that my dad would appreciate it. So I took the picture. (laughs) How did you approach him? Like, what did you go up to him and say? Like, Hey, slash big fan. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, like, it's great to meet you. Like, would you mind if I get a picture with you? I, I did have a short conversation with him, but, uh, yeah, that's really cool that you you you, you chose that we one. We found that. Yeah. Shout out to you for not getting that was actually starstruck. New Year's Eve. That, that was New Year's, New Year's Eve. Eve. So yeah. you met him at a party? Yeah, met him at a New Year's Eve party in 2012 going into 2013. Wow, there yeah. you go. So 2013, that would have been the year that I met a celebrity as well. Oh. I met Batista. Oh, wow. Um, who's in Guardians of the Galaxy, okay. famous wrestler and whatnot. And so yeah. I was coming back from a flight from Orlando, I believe, and I was with Jen Gonzalez. Shout out to Jen G. Mm-hmm. Uh, we flew back. And uh, we were in the New York airport, mm-hmm. and we were stopping over, and uh, I recalled boarding the flight and seeing this one guy with his hood on, with his with listening to music, but he was occupying two seats. Like, he was a huge guy. Like, his bicep, I kid you not, was bigger than my torso. Oh my God. And uh, I was like, okay, that looks like someone famous. I couldn't put my, my I couldn't put uh, the name with, with, the, with the person that I saw. And then I saw him get off the flight mm-hmm. and just kind of sit down, try to be inconspicuous. And I was like, oh, that's Dave Batista. I need to do this, because I know all of my buddies, Amir, Azim, See? everyone would have loved this, right? I go up to him, and I've never done this before. I've never actually talked to a celebrity of that caliber before. I went up to him, and I just stuttered for like what felt like an hour straight. I was like, uh, hi, 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 did, 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 did Dave? And he looked at me like, oh, my God, here we go again. I'm just trying to relax and get onto my next flight. Yeah. And uh, he's like, yeah, what's up? And I didn't have an answer. I just blanked. And then he saw that I blanked. He's like, you want a photo? I'm like, yeah, 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 let's do this. And so we got a photo. And then as soon as he walked away, I just collapsed because of the adrenaline rush that happened. Oh, that's I got so starstruck, man. It was so ridiculous. I'm so embarrassed by that. Oh, my I goodness. I wouldn't be embarrassed by it at <laughs> all. But I find that it's interesting that he didn't engage with you more. Maybe he was busy or maybe he was in a rush. But I think I think, I think he was, because um, he was just filming at that time. He was probably filming Spectre, the movie that he was in, the, oh, okay. the 007 movie. So I think his headspace was all over the place. He had just left the WWE. He was now trying to break into Hollywood so mm. I don't think he was in the best of moods in that particular oh. day. It was also like a, a really early morning flight too. Oh, okay. Can I go to photo number two, Kelly? Yes, you can. Okay, so I find this interesting side note because yes. I, if you'll see that I haven't been very active on my Instagram as of late uh, in terms of my posts. Yeah. I think stories are becoming very popular these totally. days but I also realize that hey, like I think a lot of people do these things for affirmation but it's also clutter so I find that now that I've eliminated more clutter out of my life I can focus on 
you know, like actually enjoying those moments rather than having to take pictures of every single moment. I want to come back to that. And when we go into the performance point segment, Mm -hmm. because I also have not posted in almost two months and I've got such great stories that I want to share with everyone, but I've been so in the moment. I need to find that balance. Let's talk about that in just a second as we get past this. This is a photo from Central Park where (laughs) you're posing with look like the Avengers on their off day. Like like that Hulk over there just uh, is not inspiring any confidence whatsoever. It looks like War Machine is wearing uh, like sneakers over there. Yeah, it's, I mean, what what was going on here? This is, this is I have so many questions. August 2013. <laughs> yes. This is me in my years of traveling constantly. I've been to New York probably over 30 times. Jeez Louise. Manhattan. Yeah. Here, like Toronto and back. Fashion hub, yeah. Yeah, But fashion also hub. just marketing, PR, all of that. I mean, like it's a business hub, period. Yeah, and when I lived in Los Angeles, I also, I was on the, actually the set of Wall Street 2 in New York, so so I lived there for a little bit to shoot that. Wall Street 2, the movie? The with movie, I'm in the Shia movie. LaBeouf? Yeah, it's Wait, funny. are you in the final cut? I'm in the final cut, but I'm in the background, but it's funny. It was a great experience. Okay, we'll talk afterwards. I want to I go back and watch that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you about that. So anyway, so then I kind of got a taste in New York and started to love it and built a lot of friendships there. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the experiences why I literally went to New York on my own, as usual. Yeah. I'll go on my own, meet my girlfriends there. Sometimes I've taken trips there just as for, uh, you know, a self-love trip. Just sure, yeah, by yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah. Get inspired again, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that day, I was actually meeting up with a friend in Central Park for lunch. And then as I left, I ran into these guys. And <laughs> I have a lot of energy. And my boyfriend always tells me this. He's like, you have so much energy. Like, when do you stop? <laughs> uh, and so when I saw these guys, and I've always loved comic books and stuff, which is another side note. And so I saw these characters. I was like, oh, yeah, can I get a picture? Yeah. <laughs> they seemed very willing. And <laughs> It was one of those moments. Yeah. Was it only three Avengers? Or were there more that were off camera? Like, uh, did I they have the whole it, squad? I believe there were four. One of the guys that took the oh, picture. Oh, one taking the picture. What was he dressed up as? I don't remember. <laughs> That's awesome. And our last picture, Kelly, this is super interesting. I can't tell what's going on over here. It looks like a remake of Interview with the Vampire or you're auditioning for Hamilton or maybe both. What's happening over here? So I have a good story for this okay. one. I know you guys can't see it. Yeah. Just talking about it. For the listeners, they're dressed in uh, Harlequin, histor- Harlequin, Harlequin Historical is the hashtag here. Have you heard of Harlequin novels? I have heard of Harlequin novels. I would always pass them by when I was going to Burroughs Hall Library. Shout out to Burroughs Hall. And my mom would catch me looking at them and she'd say, Hamza, you're too young for this. <laughs> yeah, the covers were very salacious. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love yeah. her response. Oh yeah. So I'm going to start from an interesting story before I get okay. into this. Is when I lived in Los Angeles, one of the celebrity figures that I interviewed was Fabio. Now, the Fabio. The Fabio. Oh my goodness. So the Fabio, everybody Legend. knows Fabio. He's... He lives in Gold's Gym in Los yeah. Angeles, and wonderful guy. And he, he, I actually met him at the gym, uh, and I was like, "Hey, like, can I interview?" I literally went up to him and said, "Hey, like, I would love to interview." He's in the middle of a set. He was just like pumping all the iron, and I somehow had the energy to go up and, <laughs> or the confidence at the time to go up and say, "Hey, like, I'd love, I, I, you know, I'd study his background because I'd heard that he'd done over a hundred covers, hundreds yeah. of covers. Oh my goodness, hundreds yeah. of covers. He is the Harlequin novel. He's one character in like all these unrelated plots. <laughs> like he's yes. the same character. The the greatest shared universe, the Harlequin shared universe, the cinematic universe starring only Fabio. <laughs> yeah, and so actually, interesting enough, so after my interview with him. A week later, I was in Toronto, and I got a call from my agent. She goes, hey, 
I got I I booked a Harlequin cover for you, and I was like, no kidding! Literally, my first cover. I've I've shot nine covers to date. Yeah. But that was one of my first. And I thought to myself, wow, this is so funny. I interviewed Fabio, and now I'm on the cover of- The universe is telling you something. So (laughs) wait, (laughs) I learn something new about you every time we meet. I just sank in that you're on Harlequin novel covers. Can I get some book, like just the titles after this as well? Yeah, I'll show you. Okay, I cannot wait to see this. This is so exciting. My dad, it's the funny side note, is like my dad will see them at the mall. He'll be like, oh yeah, we got to get them. And it's like, dad, I hope you've not read those. (laughs) Do not read any of those. Do not open those. (laughs) Because the reader is supposed to imagine that that is me. Yeah, so weird. So weird. Oh my goodness. Well, Kelly, this brings us to the, the juicy part of the podcast where we talk about specifically how it is that you as a high performer manage and optimize your time, your energy, and your attention. And I know that in the preparation for this we have like the show notes and they have all the questions in there and knowing you you probably answered all of them but what we're going to do here is just synthesize all of it with the theme of minimalism so we've never actually done this before we've never actually tailored these questions to the specific guests that we have and I think I'm really excited to do this moving forward Mm -hmm. I want to speak to you specifically about how you decide what not to spend your time your energy and your attention on Because I think we've covered the last 14 episodes. We've talked about how it is that you set goals, how is it that you prioritize, what to do in the morning, what to do, you know, in the evening, what to do when you're working, all of that. Let's talk about what not to do and how it is that Kelly Foss decides what not to do. And let's start by talking about time specifically. How do you decide what not to spend your time on? Okay. So this takes trial and error to start Mm -hmm. because nobody's a master of this, but Mm -hmm. I'm getting closer every single day. That's the beautiful thing. So... What you need to do is either sit down or look around, go go somewhere, go in, I don't know, go into your home, go into, go in the outdoors and figure out what is essential. Right. Identify what's essential, eliminate what is not, and then build a system around it. So uh, as Raphael Rong would always say, some really important productivity systems that we need in place in order to fulfill the essential things that we want out of life. So for me, it is what's essential. My full-time job's essential. Yeah. Like I want to be fully present. I want to be maximizing my time when I'm there. Uh, my podcast, passion project, super incredibly passionate about that. I want to keep building. I want to keep writing. I, I also write from minimalism life mm-hmm. and, you know, relationship. My relationships are very important to me. My friends, my family are very important to me. And my health and fitness, very important to me. So mm-hmm. I've got the, these five key priorities in my life, and that's out of order, by the way. I always feel like love and you know giving love and receiving love, that's number one. Right. Uh, and then everything else is secondary. But uh, that being said, yeah, so by identifying what's essential, it's easier to say no to things. And you've talked about this pod on your pod on your other podcast because I've listened to a few of your episodes about how you need to be very cognizant of your time, and that's something that I wasn't, especially in my modeling years. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kelly, let's meet. Oh, let's meet. Let's meet. So I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. There's one point in my life that I realized, hey, like I should start saying no, yeah, because this is my time, and this is going in a direction that I don't want to go in. Right. So now I'm very smart about, hey, like everybody has the same amount of time, mm-hmm. and. Right now, it's interesting that you're you're interviewing me today because as much as minimalism has helped clear the excess and helped me focus on, hey, like these are the essential things, I can accomplish them all. I need to figure out when to tell myself, no, 
Like you can't, you, you have to stop. So I have to set deadlines. Like, no, you can't do this. So I've been able to manage my time better, especially those essential things in my life uh, with what I call the bullet journal. Okay, do tell. Have you heard of the bullet journal? I've heard about it. I've seen it in practice maybe once or twice, but I don't fully grasp it. So it's an analog system journal. You can buy it at Indigo. Just, just, just buy a notebook. Yeah. And you draw out the month, each month in a year. So let's just do a calendar year. Sure. And on the first page, you put out all your goals for that month. Then as you turn pages, you go week by week. And the beautiful thing about this is that every single day, I write down my daily tasks. And in the month, in the front of the month, are my goals for that month, right? And then you have your goals for the year, either the end of the book or the beginning of the book. Right. And you can actually carry them over. So if you don't accomplish those goals in that month, you can carry them over. But anyways, so what's great about this journal is that by writing down all your daily tasks, you can cross them out. So the beauty of that is you're like, hey, like, I feel accomplished. Yeah. So you get that dopamine rush from that check mark, right? Yes, it's amazing. And, and not just that, you realize, hey, like, this is all the time I have in a week. This is everything's essential. So let's write all those things down first. Yeah. So health and fitness. I love running because it gives me a boost. So you got to make time for that uh, relationship. What are you doing that week together? Uh, you know, full-time job. The thing with full-time jobs is it is an analog system. So with full-time jobs, I just basically anything that is outside of my full-time jobs calendar that's very important that I may forget, then I'll put it in. Right. But everything else is ever-changing. Yeah. So I leave that in my work calendar. But especially like personal commitments where you're like, hey, like, yeah, I can do that. Oh, yeah, I'll see yeah. you for coffee. But then you forget about it because you don't write it down. Exactly. But now Lauren and I, you know, we have these bullet journals and we write them down. It has been a lifesaver for me. I know it's a physical item, but I always like to to to, to, to joke and laugh like, hey, like minimalists still own things. Totally. They, they own things. And, you know, I, I use a journal myself. I use the five minute journal by Intelligent Change and also their productivity planner. I've tried to use digital task lists and to-do lists and they just don't, they don't have the same um, almost corrective and therapeutic effect yes. that writing things down and crossing them off yourself does. Very interesting. It, it almost sounds like you've got a to-do list and you've got a must-do list and it feels like your to-do list draws from the must-do list. Like mm-hmm. You talked about those five areas of your life, the heat maps, the things that give you your energy and then from there stem all the things that you need to work on on a day-to-day basis. And I think a lot of people, a lot of listeners and certainly I was at this place in my life once upon a time where my to-dos were governed by what I felt like doing the day of um, and they would just spring from reactive sources. I mean, I would I would react to whatever inputs I was receiving, whatever my boss wanted to do, whatever emails were coming in, what was happening in the news, and that was a surefire way to burn out. I didn't actually have control over my time. I don't have control over my energy or my attention. I think that my priorities were managing me versus the other way around. Exactly. Um, Rory Vader, have you heard of him? Rory Vader, no. Um, so name, he's an author know. and self-discipline expert, and he basically says that we need to, or sorry, Vaden, sorry, Rory Vaden, Vaden is his okay. last name. Still cool. He says that if we don't manage our, our priorities, like somebody else will. Yeah. And that clicked maybe three or four years ago for me. Because I was like, wow, like, it's not just going to happen for me. No. I need to do it. And the bullet journal has kind of like capsulized that. Like, it's like, hey, like, this is everything that I need to do. And this is, these are all the things that are moving me in the direction that I want to go in, which is great. But at the same time, I'm imperfect. Like, I have days where, and I have weeks, and it's, I say it's interesting that you're interviewing me today because the past three weeks of my life have been insane. Wow. But you know what? That's my fault. 
So that's what I love. It's like everybody has the same amount of time in the day. Right. Everybody's busy. And that's a whole other conversation. Sure. And But it's like, hey, like, I can manage my time so that I don't feel this way. Yeah, is it true that maybe you misprioritized in the last three weeks? Like you prioritized the wrong things or overprioritized? Uh, I I didn't. I would say a combination of the two. Okay. It was more so I haven't told myself when to stop. And what's great about the bullet journal is that you're kind of telling yourself, hey, I have an hour for this. I have two hours for this. That way you're not lingering for two hours on something. Exactly, right? yeah. So you're more aware of that, which is great. Uh, but I would say that, and, and what Rory Vaden says is, we need to multiply our time. And I love what he says. He goes, it's not about prioritizing time. It's about prioritizing self. And what he means by that is, we got to ask ourselves the question, Hey, like, are we, uh, what can we do today that'll make tomorrow better? And I love yeah. that. He's like, what is the stuff that I don't want to do that I can do now? So right. I find that since he said that, literally, I spent the past five days, I'm like, I've got five things I need to accomplish over Easter weekend, in addition to seeing my family, because that's very important yes. to me. So I'm like, okay, what do I what is, the, what is, you know, the thing that's giving me the most anxiety and that I need to get done? Okay, I'm going to focus on that. So I got that done first, and the weekend felt so much lighter. So it's interesting how you can do that, but then you also have to understand that, hey, like, it's prioritizing yourself. So that's a reminder to those who ever feel overwhelmed. It's like, you need to tell yourself, I'm only allotting this amount. But sometimes things just need to get done. Exactly, yeah. Totally. And and how, how do you deal with those moments when they happen? And the thing that relates into the next question about energy is like, how is it that you then look to the energy that's available to you with the time that you have that's finite? You've been able to generate a almost infinite amount of energy based on uh, the time you have. Let me actually rephrase that because that's actually not true. My, my friends who are listening to this, Adil's listening to this right now thinking, Hamza, there's nowhere true. There's no such thing as infinite energy when it comes to individuals. Sorry. Sorry, Adil. You have the same 24 hours as everyone else, relatively speaking. And then with that, you're able to generate an amount of energy that is uh, proportional to the things that you've done well, how you're eating, you know, your mental state, uh, the sleep that you received, all of that. But then the things that need to get done, the reactive work that comes your way, how do you manage your energy while that's happening? Because that can be a huge energy suck. That's almost like an energy vampire just draining you and then it has a, uh, a cascading effect on your time and your focus. Oh yeah, I'm super and hyper aware of it now. Uh-huh. Have Okay, so we did an episode on digital minimalism Ooh. and that just, that's by far my favorite episode to date of all of our episodes. And listen to that after this. And yeah. the reason why, and that was just a back and forth between Laura and I, we didn't have a guest on the show, but we had read a book um, we had read a book that is actually the most recent book that I just finished uh, by Cal Newport. Cal Newport, okay, it's yeah. It's called Digital Minimalism. Nice. It just came out uh, now a month ago. Wow. And so we read this book and we're like, hey, like, let's deconstruct this because there were so many learnings from this book. And so he talks about how basically uh, our digital clutter um, is basically, it's like a cognitive epidemic right now. Everything, we are allowing our digital technologies to control us, and we need to control these devices. So that's what our conversation is about. Like, how can we do that? 
So now how can we become more aware of how much we're using these things and how much we're reacting? It goes back to that important, urgent model as well, mm-hmm. right? Like what's important, what's less important, what's what's more urgent, what needs to be attended to now? Right. So when it comes to my digital devices, we actually, the first thing we did is we actually cleared our phones. We cleared, we renovated our smartphones. How so? And so all of the apps on your phone, they actually don't need to be on your front screen. There's a way to hide them all. Because that's what we see every single yeah. day. And turning off your notifications, we've heard this before. Totally. There's all these things that we can do. My morning routine used to be a lot of the time, I'd be like, wow, why is it so long? Because I was spending 30 minutes on my phone that I wasn't realizing. And that you're on Twitter, you're on Reddit, all of that, yeah. So I decided, hey, when I wake up in the morning, one thing about our world these days is that we do need to be connected. And the thing about being connected all the time is like you worry, like, what if there's something urgent? So when I do wake up, I'll check my phone. If there's something urgent, I'll, I'll literally check it for a minute. If there's something urgent, great. If there isn't, great. I will leave it charging and I'll get to my day Yeah. because I don't want to be distracted by those no. things. And you know what? Your friends will appreciate it. You'll learn to you'll learn to say like, hey, you know, sorry. Like I you don't even need to say sorry. It's like, hey, you know, I was doing this. Um, I'll get to you soon. Or, you know, the thing is and what I love about this digital minimalism book is that he says that digital clutter is fragmenting our focus. Big time. And he references Andrew Sullivan. He has he's an incredible writer and blogger. I don't know if you've heard of Andrew no. Sullivan, but he has an Great article Andrew. that he wrote in New York Magazine called I Used to Be a Human Being. Oh, shit. And it is the most mind-blowing article I've ever read. Wow, that's high praise. I'm definitely reading that as well. Yeah, so he says, um, speaking of all the endless distractions and overload of information that has made us like manic like information addicts today, he says that it broke me and it may bro- break you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was like, yeah, it's a cognitive epidemic and it's killing people inside. And I'm like... You're so right. And then he was saying, like, these are the things that we can do in order to avoid that. You know, it's we can become so overwhelmed by all of that. And it's crazy. Like, put your try putting your phone away for six tough, hours. You're going to be reaching tough. for something. It's, yeah. Phantom, phantom vibrations. Yes. You feel them, even though there's no notifications whatsoever. You just feel like maybe there's something happening. Right. It's twitchiness almost. And it's a temptation. Big time. We have an episode on minimalism temptation, and it's not just physical goods that you buy. It's, ooh, you're getting that text message. It's almost like eating a piece of cake. It's like, wow, it fulfills you. That's it. Someone sees me. I'm being acknowledged. Those little likes, that like counter that you see just keep on, you know, either increasing or decreasing has a direct correlation on how it is that you feel about yourself. I mean, I think that these social mediums and technology has done a great job, a scary good job of tapping into our limbic system. Like they've just hijacked our senses of memory, emotion, feeling. I mean, we're now tethered to these devices. And you have to ask, like, who's managing who? Are these devices managing us? Is this how the AI takeover happens? Is this how, are these our new, our, our future overlords? Don't know. That's why Cal Newport, this is kind of his byline, this is sums up his book. He says that our digital life is just as important as our physical health. Yeah, big time. Because that'll fall to the wayside. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Because we're talking about, we're, the conversation is happening right now about junk food, about what goes into our bodies physically, but what about what goes in, you know, through our eyes into our minds? And... Yeah, he actually compares uh, an athlete eating junk food yeah. to a business professional surfing through social media. Yeah, it's tough. 
it's the same thing. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's moving you away from your goal. Exactly. And there's some habits that I need to kick for sure. Like I'm a huge, like till day, I, I enjoy my, my blog sites, like my, my gossip sites. Like I'll go on media takeout and boss it and I'll, I'm a regular consumer of all things world star, all of that six buzz and it's entertaining, but I think that it's also compromising my ability to focus and it's taking me further and further away from those moments where I need to sink into deep work because I'm like, I want to see the new world star fight compilation. I like that you said deep work mm. and that, Cal Newport again, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And Andrew Sullivan, that's the, in, that's the reason why I wanted to even do that episode and kind of take this on in my own life and make small changes is because remember in university we're the same age yeah like we we went to university we had that deep focus i would shut off i actually yeah i didn't get i didn't get a cell phone till halfway through but when i had a phone yeah i i would shut it off and i have deep focus in in university in the library nowadays i'm like wow like i want to get closer to that which i already have and i'm so thankful for it i've been on this journey for with digital minimalism for a couple months now and i can get into those focus modes and if I get a notification from a friend, I usually don't see it. But mm-hmm. if my phone is near me, I just let them know, like, I don't want to fall out of focus. Totally. And I think what's happening now is the evidence of this is I'm seeing this firsthand as an instructor here at Ryerson. Like, all my students, like I say, not all of them, obviously, but like a like an increasing amount of them are hopped up on ketamine, on uh, different types of amphetamines, um, wow. um, all kinds of ADHD medication. And I think that's a substitute for... Growing up in a world where their attention has been fragmented, I don't blame I don't blame them. I blame the parents. I blame the parents that are our, our age or similar ages that didn't know how to teach good digital wellness habits because this was the wild wild west. It still is. We're still figuring this out in real time. Mm-hmm. Like the re- the research is only starting to come out about how detrimental this is. And I think the verdict is in based on the few pieces of research that are conclusive is that um, social media acts and behaves in a way that is very similar to any type of drug any type of lethal, harmful drug. Um, and I know that Bailey Parnell, my, my partner, would 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 echo that sentiment based on the research that she's doing as well, which is like you could do a line of Coke or you could, you know, scroll through your Facebook timeline. Yeah. Dynamic-wise, they're almost identical but, in terms of what they do for you. Absolutely. And I, I do want to remind your audience, too, that there's an there's a flip side. So mm-hmm. and and the uh, the author Cal Newport also po- points this out. He says that you know, he's a digital techno- technologist. Yeah. He likes technology. Sure. And he's also a millennial. Yeah. He says, it's not that technology is bad. It's just that we should use these tools to our advantage. That's it. So let's renovate our phones. Let's renovate how we use our technology so that it actually adds, event- adds you know, adds to our everyday. Like, for example, I love using Uber. Mm-hmm. It's, an, it's an app that adds, adds to my everyday. Uh, I enjoy you know, having the photos app. I enjoy having my email, but I don't need hundreds of apps. The problem is people download apps. Oh, this is cool. And then they never use them. It's just like a physical piece of clothing that you're not using. That's it. And I think that, you know, I I totally agree with that. I, I love technology. I love the promise of technology, love social media, love the promise of social media. But I think that we all need to do a better job of learning these habits that we've seemingly perfected when it comes to our inboxes and other areas of our life, but also like bring that mentality of inbox zero to your social media, bring that mentality of disconnecting and, you know, regulating the time that you spend on it to technology, so on and so forth. And I think it's happening. I'm more optimistic than I am pessimistic here. Yeah. I think that, I think that there's enough conversation. There's enough of a groundswell Mm -hmm. where people are now looking at this problem the way it should be looked at. And I think that a solution is imminent. Okay. Can I take it to Marie Kondo now? Yes, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Bring so the back. whole idea is that 
you know, we're, we're eliminating this clutter so that we can be more present and, you know, moving forward in a direction that makes sense for us. With Marie Kondo, what she does and what I, what I love about what she does is that she says like, hey, like, here's all your clutter. You know, this is where you are today. Let's figure out what's essential, what's not, and then let's organize it. What I love about that, so she goes in, have you have you ever seen her Netflix series? I've seen trailers of it. No, so she goes yet. into different people's homes and she basically like literally just declutters. Yeah, and fix my life. Yeah. <laughs> organizes everything. The problem with that, though, is that it doesn't, and Lauren and I like to argue this, it doesn't solve the root of the problem. Huh. So, for example, if someone's declared their house and organized and they're like oh yeah this is great like coming back to their house a year from now is it going to look like that because you don't have Marie Kondo's brain right because you don't have Marie Kondo's brain exactly so what are the habits that you need to change in order to continue on with this lifestyle and that's a question that I think a lot of the people on this show aren't asking themselves so that's the fear i know there's a reality show like the biggest loser um you know they lose all this weight but i hear that the majority of them gain it all back right so it's so like the yo-yo diet the yo-yo diet and you see this happen with lottery winners too like they're just flushed with all this money and they revert back to in some cases they actually um uh, fall off the the path that they were on and they enter into financial ruin after winning the lottery just because the habits were never in place exactly you get the quick fix you get the outcome but you don't have the process Exactly. Hmm. And so that's what we really stress is like, hey, like this, how did you get here? Ask yourself that question. How did I get here? How did I get such a messy closet? Anybody listening? How did I get here? What do I need to change? What are the habit changes that need to be made? Right? So it's so interesting because I used to, you know, especially if you, you have a day where you're feeling down or something, you go shopping. I mean, I would go shopping. And Courtney Carver, who's a huge thought leader in the space, we interviewed her as well. She said, yeah, I used to go shopping. But now... I have other outlets and not just that it's when I see all this stuff like I've literally didn't go to the mall for eight months last year Wow! and I every time I go through it I feel so much more calm I used to be overwhelmed <laughs> yeah you know when you go into a store and you just so many options I love oh, everything God. in the store yeah. I just want to buy everything so rather than doing that just honestly leaving with nothing I love that and you're seeing malls starting to warp like malls are responding to um, a growth in online shopping. Like they know that people aren't physically coming in. So malls are becoming more extreme in their tactics in the way that they're merchandising, like louder colors, more aggressive so salespeople. True. I mean, they're trapping you with very creative ways to walk through the store such that you get disoriented. There's no rhyme or pattern to these, these malls anymore. Yeah. And, um, I, as a deep introvert, I resent malls. I can't do malls. I walk into a mall and I walk right out. I swear to God, the other day I walked into an H&M. I had to pick up something. I can't remember what it was. And I walked in. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to buy it here. I just walked home and I just bought it online. So overwhelmed by it. But this conversation, though, Kelly, has inspired me to take a hard look at my own habits when it comes to consumption. Mm -hmm. And not just in terms of retail, but in terms of information, in terms of technology, heck, in terms of even friends, too, and family, and really think about from a holistic perspective, what's important to me. And so uh, I want to thank you for inspiring us, inspiring myself, Kwaku, and the listeners to, to take a hard look and really think about minimalism as, you know, this isn't a fad. This isn't something that's here today, gone tomorrow. This is going to be, I have a feeling, I have a strong feeling, this is going to be part of the zeitgeist. It's going to be plugged in to this um, 
way of thinking, way of being, way of doing that's going to be here for a very, very long time. Decades. I think for decades. I would say even centuries because I think that this might be the philosophical answer that we need for a lot of the meta problems that we're experiencing, whether it's the environment, whether it's the economy. I think that really at the heart of minimalism is this idea of what's essential. Exactly. And that's a question that has long eluded us. We are unlearning everything that our parents taught us. Boom. Kelly, are you ready for the second last, I think actually the final segment of this podcast, which is a rapid fire round? Yay. 10 questions just for you. And the challenge here is that you have to answer them as soon as you have to answer them very quickly. And uh, there's not going to be much time for explanation unless prompted. Okay. Ready to go. <laughs> see, see what you did there. Well done. I talked very fast. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Rapid fire round. Question number one with and rapid fire with Kelly Foss. Question number one, what would be your Paris Fashion Week runway song? Ooh, oh my god. You can take time to think as long as your answer is rapid. Ooh. Um, <laughs> oh man. I don't know. It would probably be a song by Hugo. Okay. Any particular song by Hugo? Uh probably. Wakaka, well, do you have one? Uh Faith Hines. Fantastic choice. That's actually a really good choice. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking myself, I'd be like, are we going to go with Azalea Banks 212? But no, no, we're doing Fade, Kanye. Yeah. Okay. Way to go. Okay, question number two. What's a game-changing book that everyone should read? Mindset by Carol Dweck. Boom. What would 16-year-old Kelly be most surprised to learn about Kelly today? That she just kept going and she just didn't stop. Because there were moments where 16-year-old Kelly might have stopped. Yes. Hmm, Interesting. Who is a mentor that changed your life? Very, very good friend of mine that I won't name. Okay, fair enough. Why should people practice minimalism? Because it will get them closer to the lifestyle that they want to live. Love it. What's the scariest goal that you've yet to reach? Something out there in the distance that you're like, I don't know. What's my scariest goal is everything that I want out of this this minimalism path that I'm looking for. I, I My goal is to become a thought leader in the space, and it's scary because I'm just, I'm doing everything I can to get there, but I don't know what it's going to be like when I get there. My friend, I think you're you're well on your path there. I mean, when I think about who in my life I would turn to for any questions about minimalism, you're the only name that comes up. Thank you. Keep at it. What was your favorite childhood TV show? Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell. What's one thing people tend to get wrong about either models or the fashion industry in general? That we're not hardworking. Hmm. How do you define success, Kelly Foss? Success is happiness, but it's also understanding your why and basically purpose. Hmm. And is it possible that those are mutually exclusive up until a certain point? Like your definition of happiness now, so the things that you're enjoying right now might not be in sync with your why? I would say that happiness is a sense of purpose. I would huh. simply put it like that. I got to think about it. That's actually a really good answer. And I think you're the first person I've ever heard who's separated those two things. Maybe, maybe your purpose was never meant to give you intrinsic happiness. Maybe it transcends that, huh? I think yeah. it transcends the happiness. Very interesting. Very interesting. And the last question, Kelly, you have given us so many great pieces of advice here, but what is the best piece of advice that you personally have ever received? Three pieces. Boom. One, love and be loved. Number two, choose an interest and develop a passion. And number three, give back. 
Wow. If, if we could drop these mics, we would just drop these mics right now. That was perfect. <laughs> Kelly, you rock that. Way to go. That was the most succinct, most profound uh, rapid fire that we've had till date. Like That lasted all of two minutes. Huh. Way to go. But you've left us with 2,000 years worth of insight and, and wisdom over here. So thank you for that. Um, in closing out, where would you want people to follow you online? Where can they find you? Where can they find your podcast? Let's 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 do all the plugs right now. Absolutely. So you can find Lauren and I for our minimalism podcast, which is called Millennial Minimalists at Millennial Minimalists on Instagram and Facebook. Those are the two areas that we are. And you can actually find me at CW Kelly Foss. Um, that's C-W and then my full name K-E-L-Y-F-O-S-S and it's C-W because long story short when I was in LA building my web series it was called Connect with Kelly I know, really funny I <laughs> I've know, always really wondered funny. but it's C-W, called C-W Connect with Kelly so it's just C-W means connect with because I love connecting people and to be honest I think that the reason we're all here is to connect with others and you know that's the whole meaning of life there you have it folks uh we connected with kelly kelly connected with us and i imagine this is going to be the first of many times that we're going to have a conversation on the ideas into action podcast thank you thank you thank you thank you so much kelly this has been an absolute pleasure this is incredible you're incredible like conversationalist so this was really wonderful thank you thank you friends until next week we're out cheers